0: What's up? This is Jonathan Smith, your host here at Shooting the Schmidt. I've got an absolutely loaded podcast for you today. A lot of predictions. We're going to run through the NFC North. That's the last NFL division that we have to predict. And then we're predicting all five conference champions for the Power 5 conferences in college football. Week 1 kicks off on Saturday. Can't wait to get into it. Here we go. Be honest to start off this NFC North stuff. The NFC is not very good as a whole. Okay. There's a lack of quarterback talent in the conference. That was made extremely apparent to me when I realized that Jared Goff is arguably one of the five best quarterbacks in the conference. He might, he's probably the best quarterback in his division. Okay. Between that, Ben Johnson remaining the offensive coordinator, and the strong finish that the Lions had to the season last year. People are really loving the Lions for the upcoming year, and I just need y'all to slow down a little bit, okay? I need the people on the Lions hype train to remember who we're talking about. We're talking about the Detroit Lions, and to put it nicely, history isn't exactly on y'all's side, okay? And as annoying as the Lions hype is, I must admit, it's warranted. As I said, they looked good last year. They finished the year really strong. Some of the hype I don't understand, though. The Bears? Justin Fields? What? Okay, the excitement around Justin Fields is one of the biggest mysteries in the NFL to me. Okay, why do people expect for this quarterback, who has barely completed 60% of his passes in his career, why are we expecting him to all of a sudden be great? Meanwhile, people don't believe in the winningest coach in this division, Matt LaFleur, who's won 71% of his games as the Packers head coach. Feel free to go back Tuesday if you want to hear all my LaFleur stuff. And people are expecting for the Vikings to fall off coming off of this extremely lucky season where they win 13 games, but there's still a lot of talent on that roster. This division could go a lot of ways and people are just kind of penciling in the Lions to win the division and I don't think that that's necessarily the case. I think that the Vikings could win the division. I think that the Packers could definitely win the division. But yet we just we want to pencil in the Lions because they finished the year well last year, okay? And let's be clear about the Lions. They don't have to roar because everyone else is doing it for them. Okay, The Lions are beloved by almost every NFL fan and analyst out there. Okay, They're the favorite to win the NFC South. It feels very similar to the Cubs in 2016, where they haven't been good for a long time and we're finally expecting something from them, and it's really exciting. Okay, The expectations are a little heavy, though. Okay, Johnson, one of the most popular coordinators in the NFL, after the productive season that the Lions put together last year... People are really high on him. He interviewed for multiple head coaching positions in the offseason, and he turned them all down. But here's the thing. Defenses have had an entire offseason to adjust to this offense. Okay, We're going to find out how good of an offensive coordinator he is really quickly. Okay, Because there are good coordinators out there who can put together a one-off season where their offense just kind of goes crazy. But the best of the best, they can evolve the offense from week to week. They can make adjustments and do various things in and out. Okay, it's, that's what the best coordinators do. That's what Andy Reid does. That's what Doug Peterson does. That's what Nick Sirianni does. So on and so forth. Okay, on top of that, last year was the first year that Jared Goff succeeded away from Sean McVay. Can he do that again? That's a big question that the Lions have to answer. Okay, the good news for the Lions, though, is that the ultimate strength of their offense, the strength of their roster, is that offensive line. Okay, they both pass and run block at high levels. Panay Sewell has, was an awesome selection for them a couple years ago. And anytime a team has an offensive line as good as the one that the Lions have, then the offense is going to find some kind of success. Okay, all in all, I like the Lions offense. I think a lot of people do. That isn't the concern, though, in terms of them being able to win this division. It's all about the defense. Okay, they had a lack of talent on the back end of their defense last year. They made some adjustments about halfway through the season, that's kind of when they started to win games. But either way, defense went great last year. So what do they do? They go out and they bring in all these new secondary players. They bring in CJ Gardner Johnson, they bring in Cameron Sutton, Emmanuel Mosley, and they spend their second round pick on Brian Branch. Okay, because as I said, the Lions secondary last year was not great. It's going to be hard for them to be worse this year than they were last year. But that's not the story. The biggest thing to watch with this Lions defense is Aiden Hutchinson. Okay, He had a solid rookie campaign with 9.5 sacks, 15 quarterback hits. If he can improve to being a premier pass rusher, then he can help cover the gaps on the back end of the defense. Help them to not have to cover as long if he can become a you know, 12, 13, 14 sack kind of guy. Okay, If he makes that year two leap then it would be hard to ignore the Lions as the probable NFC North champions. And if he does make that leap, then you could even make a case that they're a sleeper team to win the NFC and to make an appearance in the Super Bowl. But that has to happen, and until I see it happen, I will not have as high of hopes on the Lions as everybody else does. That's how I'm rolling with it. Meanwhile, in Wisconsin, Green Bay, the Love era has begun. Jordan Love... New starter for the Packers. I don't want to harp on them too, too much, as my entire podcast on Tuesday was about the Packers and Matt LaFleur. Now, Jordan Love had a really productive preseason. 21-33, 183 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. Also ran the ball four times for 33 yards. Wasn't sacked once. Like I said, he had a really good preseason. Completed 64% of his passes at just under six yards per attempt. I want to see that a little bit higher, but young quarterback... You're not going to trust him to push the ball down the field as much. And the passer rating of 110 is impressive. They scored on four of the eight possessions that he played in, three touchdowns and field goal. The thing that really excites me about Green Bay is this is going to be for the first time in Matt LaFleur's head coaching career. He can actually do what he wants to do because there's no Aaron Rodgers in the building. Okay, it's a new era under a coach who's won 71% of his games over the last 4 years. Okay, people are underestimating how good of a team this Packers, this excuse me, how good this Packers team is. I like this Packers team. They're going to be good. Matt LaFleur is a good coach. Bad coaches don't win 13 games 3 years in a row. Doesn't matter who the quarterback is. I also enjoy betting on teams that have chips on their shoulder. Okay, you can't tell me that Jordan Love doesn't have a chip on his shoulder. You can't tell me that Matt LaFleur doesn't have a chip on his shoulder. Okay, Love is expected to fail because who in the world drafts three Hall of Fame quarterbacks in a row? Nobody. There's no way that the Packers did that, right? Well, we don't know, and we've already written him off. Okay, Meanwhile, LaFleur has been deemed as someone who has succeeded simply because of Aaron Rodgers, and he's out to prove that that isn't the case. I'm telling y'all, do not sleep On these Green Bay Packers, they're going to be a really good football team. Meanwhile, the Bears, they're out there playing the fields, you know. And I'm going to tell you the truth right now about Justin Fields. He's not good. Okay? I touched on it a little bit earlier. There's all this Justin Field type. He hasn't shown anything to convince me that he can be anything other than a bad quarterback this year. Okay, over the two years he's been in the league, he's only completed 59% of his passes. His touchdown-to-interception ratio is 24-21. to 21. He's only won five games as a starter. The only thing that he does well is run the ball, and that's not what quarterbacks are paid to do. That's not how quarterbacks win games. Even guys like Lamar Jackson and Jalen Hurts, they stand in the pocket, and they can deliver the ball on time and on target. The ability to run as a quarterback is an icing trait, not a cake trait. All the cake traits come around or built around the ability to throw the football consistently. Now, to be fair to Justin Fields, he hasn't had a lot of help from his receivers or his coach. He's playing under a defensive-minded head coach. That's always tough on young quarterbacks. And up until this year, the receiving core was amongst the worst in the league. Now you got D.J. Moore, Chase Claypool, Darnell Mooney. That is enough talent for us to see what he has as a passer. And the people who say, oh, well, his receiving core isn't as good as all these other guys, I don't want to hear it because we saw Trevor Lawrence last year play really well with his best wide receiver being Christian Kirk. Okay, there's no excuse for Fields not to be good this year. Bears, if Justin Fields isn't good this year, you got to move on. You got to go find a different quarterback. Okay? Justin Fields' development as a passer is is completely going to dictate who the bears are this year. Okay, if he continues to be inaccurate down the field, then they're going to be bad again. Okay, they have another 5 and 12 season waiting on them if he's not very good. If he's gotten better, if he can just be a little bit more consistent, then they could fight to potentially go over 500. Maybe a game breaks their way, they go 10 and 7 and they sneak into the playoffs for the first time since 2020. That's the ceiling for them, but the floor really really low. It's all dependent on Justin Fields and what he brings to the table. Finally, the Vikings. The Vikings might have been the worst 13 win team in the history of the NFL last year. They won 11 and 0 in one score games during the regular season, and then they lose in the wild card round to Daniel Jones and the Giants by seven. Their only, the only game that year that they lost that was decided by by one possession. Okay, they were solid last year, but they weren't 13 wins good, right? They were a good offensive team. Justin Jefferson, best receiver in the league. Dalvin Cook had a decent year. Kirk Cousins put together one of the best years of his career. Kevin O'Connell looked the part as an offensive coach in year one. But the defense was absolutely horrendous, and they made some changes. They moved off of five cornerbacks in the offseason. Five of them. The room, it's full of new guys. Okay, They bring in Byron Murphy in the offseason. They draft two more corners. Okay, It's a young room. Okay, the oldest cornerbacks on the Vikings are 25. There's two of them. Okay, if a few of them hits, then this defense should make should take a dramatic leap forward. On top of that, they bring in one of the best defensive minds in football, Brian Flores. He's a defensive genius. We saw him do it in New New England under Bill Belichick. We saw him do it in Miami. Okay, and a lot of people are questioning whether or not the Vikings are going to have The personnel to run the kind of defense that Flores wants to run, which is a lot of blitz-heavy packages, getting after the quarterback, and really relying guys on the back end to hold up. And it's a fair question, right? But when we look at Flores' time in Miami, the only elite defensive players that were there was Xavier Howard and like a young Christian Wilkins who wasn't quite what he is now. Okay, everyone else was like average at best, and even when he didn't have great talent, he put together good defensive game plans in Miami that kept them in games. He can do the same thing in Minnesota. He can put together good game plans that maybe you know don't shut teams out like he did to the Rams in the Super Bowl a few years ago, but they keep the Vikings in the games, which then allows this really good offense to go out and score points and win games on the offensive side of the ball. This division is extremely underrated. You could maybe convince me this is the best division in the NFC. Probably not. It, it's, it's the NFC East. But this is the second best division in the NFC. I like the Packers to win the division at 11-6. The, like, the Lions will follow also at 11-6. I like the Packers to win the tiebreaker. The Vikings will finish in third with a chance at the 7th seed going 9-8. And, and then the Bears will finish in last with a record of 7 and 10 That's what I expect From the NFC North this year We're going to take a short break When we come back I'm going to break down The 5 Power 5 conferences In college football Who I expect to win those Can't wait to get into it We're going to take a short break We'll be right back With more Shooting the Schmidt So week 0 Of the college football season Has happened Week 1 Two days away And I have to tell you who's going to win every single conference before the season starts. This is the last go-around for some of these conferences and how they currently look. Every Power 5 conference except the ACC is going to look vastly different next year. The Pac-12 may not even exist. Okay, with some of the biggest teams abandoning their conferences, this is going to be one of the most personal seasons of college football we have ever seen. Every Big 12 team is targeting Texas and Oklahoma. The Pac-12 teams will be targeting USC and UCLA. Okay, The two teams that started the dismantling of the Pac-12 and of college football as we know it. Here we go. Let's start with the Pac-12. The final Pac-12 champion, probably. Okay, because the Pac-12 isn't going to exist here in a couple years. If they do exist, then they're going to be irrelevant and probably not even considered a Power 5 conference because they're going to merge with the Mountain West or something like that. Okay, Caleb Williams and USC are getting most of, if not all of the attention in the Pac-12. Deion Sanders got like a month's worth of media coverage when Colorado hired him. They're heading off to the Big 12 next year. Um, All the while... Dan Lanning and the Oregon Ducks Have been working very quietly In Eugene, Oregon And they are my pick To win the Pac-12 Let's start with USC And why I don't like them They are the favorites They're the popular pick But Lincoln Riley continues To only understand One side of the football Okay, USC could have The best offense in the country But he had the best offense In the country, Oklahoma And he couldn't get the job done there Last year, USC led the nation In turnover margin That will not happen again Sure, I know they have the best quarterback in the country. They have the guy who's going to go number 1 overall. It's Caleb Williams, the former Heisman winner. He could go back to back. He could. But the other top teams in this conference also have good quarterbacks. Okay, if games are turned into shootouts, then USC will not have the 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 ability to get stops that they need, especially against these top teams like Washington, Utah, and Oregon. There is a real scenario where USC not only doesn't win the conference, but they finish fourth behind those three teams that I just mentioned. After USC, people really like Utah and Washington. Okay? Those seem to be the popular picks after USC. Both have experienced quarterbacks. I don't like the way Utah plays football. I don't. I don't think it wins in the current modern college football landscape. It's an older style Okay, I know they have an experienced quarterback in Cam Rising who is coming off an ACL injury. I just don't think they're going to be able to put up enough points to beat the other top teams in the conference. They play good defense, right? but college football is a sport that is all about scoring. It's about scoring lots of touchdowns and getting four or five key stops throughout the game. That is what college football has become. They can get the stops. I just don't know if they can score enough points. Plus, Rising's best target from last year, Dalton Kincaid, Probably the best tight end in the country was just taken by the Bills in the first round. Okay, so he's not there anymore. I don't think they're going to be able to replace that production. Okay, moving on to Washington, who I like more than Utah. They don't have the element of surprise this year. Okay, it's year two under Kalen DoBear. Do- I hope I pronounced that properly. There's a full year of tape available on the offense. People are high on them due to them going 11 and two last year, which is totally fair. I don't mind that at all until you realize that they played, they didn't play USC or Utah, two, like the two best teams in the Pac-12 last year. They didn't play either one of them. Okay, That isn't the case this year. They had to play both of those teams. Their schedule is much tougher than last year. That's why I don't like Washington. That's why I don't like Utah. That's why I don't like USC. Now let me go back to Oregon. Let me tell you why they're going to win the Pac-12. Dan Lanning's one of the best defensive coaches in college football. Okay, they bring back Bo Nix, who's going into his fifth year as a starting quarterback in college football. There's nothing he hasn't seen before, and he's coming off the best year of his career. 72% of his passes were completed through for over 4,000 yards. He had a great year. On top of that, over the past four seasons, Oregon has recruited better than any other team in the conference. Okay, On top of that, they added a couple key transfers on the offensive side of the ball that should beefen up the offense. Watch out. Oregon's going to be really, really good this year, and no one is talking about them. Moving on to the Big 12, which has 14 teams in it. Look, let's be honest here. There are two big bullseyes painted in the Big 12 on Texas and Oklahoma. Nobody likes them. They're leaving for the SEC. People can't stand them because of it. Okay? And here's the worst part for it for all these Big 12 fans. You can't stand Texas and Oklahoma, and they're going to finish 1-2 and two in the Big 12. Texas is going to win the Big 12. Quinn Ewers, best quarterback in the conference. Steve Starkeesian, best offensive coach in the conference. Okay, They have the best offense in the Big 12 in a conference that is predicated on scoring a lot of points. They do that better than anyone else. There's no other team in the conference that has the offensive firepower to compete with them in shootouts, and no one has the defense to limit them offensively. Okay, their schedule is favorable. Their league road, looking at all their big twelve games that they have on the road, Baylor, Houston, TCU, and Ohio State. They get Kansas State and Oklahoma either at home. Obviously, Oklahoma will be played in Dallas at the Texas State Fair. And let's be honest, Oklahoma, they have a lot to prove after one year of Brent of Brent Venables. Okay. I think Texas could very easily go undefeated in the conference. Okay, they have the game in Tuscaloosa earlier on in the year that they could win. wouldn't be surprised if Texas beat Alabama. wouldn't be surprised in the slightest. Meanwhile, Oklahoma, who I think is going to finish second, should be better this year. They're still rebuilding, trying to recoup talent after all their better players followed Lincoln Riley to Los Angeles to play for USC. Here's the thing, though. They're not going to be good enough to win the conference. They'll probably lose the Red, Red, River, Red River rivalry. Excuse me. But look, they can win 10 games. They can go 7-2 in conference play think their losses come to Texas and Oklahoma State in the final edition of the Bedlam series. Okay, it's in Stillwater that is set to be one of the most electrifying atmospheres in college football this year. I'll be stunned if Oklahoma wins that one on the road. And you know, I just I got to apologize sorry kids. The good guys don't always win. The season is going to end with the two departing teams atop the Big 12. Maybe Kansas State beats out Oklahoma for that second spot, but I like Texas and Oklahoma to go out atop the Big 12 Conference. Moving on to the Big Ten, which would really just be called the Big Three because it's all about Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State, as it always is. Okay, It's a race for fourth place. Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State are hands down the three best teams in this conference. Maryland and Michigan State could be competitive, but they just don't have the talent that these other three schools have. The Big Ten is going to come down to these three dates. Penn State at Ohio State on October 21st. Michigan at Penn State on November 11th, and Ohio State at Michigan on November 25th. Okay, these are three really good teams. All three of them, you can make a case that they could make the college football playoff. Okay, they should all sweep their other conference games. The question is, who is going to perform the best against the other two? And I got to be honest, I think it's going to be Michigan. Okay, CJ Stroud left Ohio State. They're breaking in a new quarterback. Sean Clifford leaves Penn State. They're also breaking in a new quarterback. Okay. Both teams run very quarterback-centric offenses. Meanwhile, you got Michigan, who brings back J.J. McCarthy in an offense that is built on physicality and running the football, so they aren't overly dependent on McCarthy, who can win a game for you. Okay, they also return their top two running backs from last year. Plus, Michigan has owned these two schools; they've he's, they've owned Penn State and Ohio State these last two years, and I don't think that that changes. They are built to beat both of those teams off of their physicality. Okay. Now, due to have, and look, they have more experience than Ohio State's. They have more experience than Penn State at the quarterback position. And that's really important. Because of that, I like Michigan to win the Big Ten. Moving on to the SEC Alabama and Georgia, they are still the marks to beat in the SEC, even though they both lost their starting quarterbacks. Okay, I don't think there's any question. Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, two of the best coaches in college football, both have proven they don't need an elite quarterback to win a national title. They don't. Okay, they're going to play each other in Atlanta once again this year. A large part of that has to do with what is expected of the other SEC juggernauts versus what is going to happen. I'm telling you right now, LSU is over. Rated, They are ranked 5th right now in the preseason polls. People are really excited about LSU. They're excited about the return of Jaden Daniels. I don't understand it. He doesn't push the ball down the field or rack up yards through the air. I know he completed 69% of his passes, but he barely averaged 200 passing yards a game. He's at 208 passing yards a game. That is not great. His average yards per attempt was only 8. Okay, In a sport filled with bombs dropped in over the top, college football is a big play game. That is what it is. He's a quarterback, Jaden McDaniels. He's a quarterback that relies predominantly on his legs, and that is simply not a winning recipe. I'm telling you right now, here's what's going to happen. The Alabamas and the Texas A&Ms and all these other teams are going to go back to last year and they're going to watch the tape against Auburn, where he only completed 40% of his passes. They're going to watch the tape against Mississippi State, where he completed 59% of his passes. They're going to watch the tape against Arkansas, where he only completed 53% of his passes. And so on and so forth. And guess what? None of those defenses were exactly great. And he struggled. I'm telling you, the Alabamas of the world. They're gonna go back, they're gonna watch those games, and they're gonna know exactly what to do to rattle him and to force LSU into being a one-dimensional offense. Okay, that is what they're going to be this year with Jaden McDaniel's under center. Okay, this is a guy who only threw for 17 touchdowns last year. Okay, to his credit, he's a care of the ball. He only threw three picks. Despite that, he's not a good thrower of the football. Okay, he's the Bears version of Justin Fields. His legs scare you more than his arm does, and it is not a good recipe for winning, especially in year two after teams have a full season of tape on you. Okay, the SEC defenses, they're going to adjust, and they're going to make life really tough on Jaden McDaniels and the LSU offenses. And McDaniels or just Daniels, am I tripping out here? I feel bad. Jaden Daniels, is it? i got to look it up now. It's bothering me. Let me look this up real quick. It is Jaden Daniels. Excuse me. I've been calling him McDaniels. That's my bad. Jaden Daniels, not a good enough thrower, thrower of the football. Bears version of Justin Fields. That's who he is. Because of LSU not being as good as expected, I fully expect Alabama to win the SEC West. Georgia should have a cakewalk through the SEC East, especially with their schedule. It'll once again be the Crimson Tide of Alabama, taking on the Bulldogs of Georgia in, the, in Atlanta, in the SEC Championship game. I think Georgia's going to win, and they will go on to compete for their third straight national championship. Moving on to the final conference here, the ACC. It's all about two teams: Florida State, Clemson. The rest of the ACC is irrelevant. Maybe North Carolina makes a little bit of noise. Sorry, I'm in, I'm all in on Florida State and Clemson. Okay, both teams returning really good quarterbacks who played well last season. Mike Norvell is looking to get to the Seminoles back to the top. Meanwhile, Dabo, Sweeney, and Clemson are fighting to stay atop the ACC, fighting to stay relevant, fighting to get back to the college football playoff. History is on the side of Clemson in this. Florida State has lost seven straight games to Clemson They are set to go on the road this year to Death Valley. This game could very well decide who wins the conference. Okay, both teams have a lot of talent on the offensive side of the ball. I'll be honest, I've got more faith in Florida State's offense just because I know who Mike Norvell is and I know what he does, and he's at the helm. Clemson's offense, they've been lackluster these past couple years. Maybe that's because DJ Ugolele hasn't been great. But to fix the problem, they're bringing in Broyles award winner Garrett Riley, TCU offensive coordinator from last year. Right, That's a guy who we know can coach. Okay, the defenses, though, I think, are what's going to separate the two. Okay, uh, Jared Verse is the best offensive player on either team. Probably going to be a top ten pick, coming off the edge for Florida State. He needs to have a big year. And then Clemson, you know, their defense is going to be solid again. They've got a really solid group of linebackers. Jeremiah Trotter leads that group. So I'm really interested to see what the defenses look like. Whichever defense plays better is probably going to win this conference. So because of that, I'm going to take Clemson because I've seen him do it before. It's really hard to get over the hump, especially when it's the same team that continues to beat you down. I like Clemson to win the ACC. So once again, we'll go back up to the top just so that you know. In the Pac-12, I like Oregon to win. In the Big 12, I like Texas to win. In the Big 10, I like Michigan. The SEC, I like Georgia. And then closing it out, I like Clemson to win the ACC. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen to this podcast a little bit longer than my other ones. Football's here, baby. So excited for it. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and I'll talk to you all again on Tuesday.